to Mayo Clinic Educator Central, brought to you by the Learning Solutions Center at Mayo Clinic. I'm Stacy Kraft, an assistant professor of medical education and senior instructional designer at Mayo Clinic. You know, we've often hear about accessibility as a means of accommodation, a means that ensures individuals with disabilities can participate fully. But what if I told you that accessibility is not just about accommodation? What if I told you it's about access for everyone? Today, our guest, Dr. Randall Walker, is an inspiring innovator who has developed a groundbreaking application that revolutionizes the way we view digital text. Originally designed to aid individuals with low vision, this application has unexpectedly transformed the experience for all kinds of people. It's a remarkable example of how inclusive innovation can benefit everyone, regardless of their abilities. A little bit more about Dr. Walker. Dr. Walker joined the Mayo Clinic community 48 years ago when he entered the fourth class of the new Mayo Medical School, which had not yet granted its first MD degree. He completed 10 years of medical education and training at Mayo, including medical school, internal medicine residency, and infectious disease fellowship. He then joined the Mayo Clinic staff in the Division of Infectious Diseases. He pioneered two new subspecialties in the field of infectious diseases, first for infections and transplant recipients, and then for orthopedic infectious diseases. Now, Dr. Walker has held a variety of roles at Mayo Clinic, including directing the educational programs of fellows subspecializing in transplant infections and orthopedic infections. He also provided infectious disease expertise in Mayo's heart transplant research programs and chaired the Mayo's Transplant Center Quality Assurance and Improvement Committee. He is the recipient of the Lorette Award and an Innovation Award from the Mayo Department of Medicine. Now, when he was an undergraduate at Notre Dame, in addition to studying biology and chemistry for his pre-medical requirements, Dr. Walker also minored in modern language and linguistics. As a lifelong low vision reader, Dr. Randall Walker became intrigued by the neurobiology of reading after seeing an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that explained that variations in reading ability in the general population are independent of intelligence. So for the past 10 years, Dr. Walker has been working with outside universities and various groups within Mayo in the applications of new reading technologies that he developed to assist low vision readers. These reading technologies have now been shown to help wider range of readers in various age and demographic groups. In today's conversation, we'll explore how Dr. Randall embarked on a journey to create something that would bridge the accessibility gap for those with low vision. Its impact on the way that you can engage with digital text is pretty extraordinary. But what's even more remarkable is how it highlights the power of designing for inclusivity. Welcome, Dr. Walker. Good morning. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today. So what can you tell us about the origin of this tool? Uh, what was the impetus and, and you know how did it come to be? This is tricky because I'm trying to describe visual phenomena with my voice, but I think about uh, how the eyes move across a line of text. And if you want to do kind of a mental experiment, get a quarter, a newspaper, and a shirt button. Okay. Um, So as the eyes move across a line of text, if you lay that quarter down on the newspaper so that the middle of the quarter goes across a line, that circle is all of the detail in terms of text data that your eyes are going to absorb 
But more important, there's a little button size circle inside of that larger circle, which is really the, the power zone. That's the ultra high definition part of the vision system. This is the part of your visual zone that you use to thread a needle, a yeah, very high level detail. And so as the eyes move across the page, the normal sighted reader will obviously use that ultra high definition zone to zero in on a word. And the other thing about reading is that it's not a smooth flow thing. Even though we don't feel symptoms or we don't feel the effort of it, the eyes are kind of uh, jumping from one word to the next. The technical word is saccade, mm -hmm. which comes from uh, the French word that means uh, jerky. <laughs> uh, and so your eyes actually stop on a word. They don't just keep flowing by, they stop. But they only stay on a word about 250 milliseconds on average. During those brief glimpses, the main data that's coming into the mind are about the what, nine or 10 characters or so that would be the, the diameter of the button inside the quarter. Mm -hmm. Now, that is super sharp very clear letters. Now, the other letters in the rest of the quarter circle uh, are not quite as sharp. They're kind of fuzzy, but it's it's usable. And then outside of the quarter, believe it or not, the eyes really don't absorb a lot of high definition detail. The brain is knitting together all of these little bits of visual data, and it's creating kind of a virtual reality in your mind that has a lot of more detail in it. The initial window into the brain through the eye is actually pretty small. So that's how the normal readers read. And mm -hmm. I was born with an eye condition. It's called Stargardt's disease. And that just means that the very center part, that ultra high definition part is like not only not high definition, it's actually kind of smudged out. It's, it's actually less than the other letters in the rest of the quarter size zone. Wow. Um, had it since childhood, children, are, they just sort of learn around, you know, the obstacle. <laughs> and in fact, um, the, uh, when they do research in children, uh, they have found that kids, well, one thing is that they have to do a lot of regression. You know, they're always having to double check like each word because uh, the fragments of data that are coming into the central area are not that helpful. So these readers, including me, we sort of read out of the corner of our eye. We, we look at a word, but we're actually using our brain to try to pay attention to the word that we're not looking at. <laughs> Ah, yeah. And so it, it, it's there at a slightly lower detail, but it's usable. And so I'm looking at some words on my screen right now, and I'm trying to do that. And it's, it's, yeah. it's tough. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a lot more zigzagging back and forth across the line. Again, I read probably half as fast as normal. So that, that is kind of the larger context. As I was younger, this would just be I would hold the page very close to my eyes, like three or four inches. And so I would usually only see three or four letters at a time and then have to do all the zigging and zagging, you know, in little three or four letter chunks. Now, a while ago, I was reading at night and I was kind of tired uh, and I was holding my paperback book very close to my eyes as usual. I'd gotten through the end of a paragraph and then I realized I can't remember what I just read. It's like it went in one eye and out the other. It um, it was kind of frustrating. And then I kept working at it and I had a kind of a hallucination. I, it was a very vivid visual experience. I think it was in my own mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And the, the words on the page that I was trying to read, a bunch of them, lifted up off of the page 
and then they rearrange themselves into phrases, uh, several phrases stacked up on top of the other. And I realized that is what I'm trying to do with my brain. Uh -huh. And I realized, how come the words can't just be like that? And then like a split second later, I realized, oh, you could get a computer to do that. So that was the... Wow. It's like an epiphany. The, the uh, Eureka moment. You will call the tool uh, visual syntactic formatting. I might call it VS. F, keep it shorter. I thought, well, somebody's probably thought of this. So I did a, you know, usual uh, searching for tools that would do that. And um, I, you know, but I couldn't find anything. So my brother, who's an ophthalmologist, and we decided to go ahead and proceed with development of this. We connected with an IBM engineer who's an expert in natural language processing, mm -hmm. but he also had dyslexia. And so I showed him a model of what I said, well, this is what the software would do if we had software that could do this. And he looked at it and he said, oh, this is easy for me to read. Wow. And so that was kind I mean, of a good deal. That's kind yeah. of cool because it's it, it kind of speaks to when we make things that provide better access for a specific group or something, we end up providing better access for a lot of people, if not everyone. Yeah, obviously I wasn't looking for a, a dyslexic engineer. He just sort of volunteered that. But then we said, okay, so this might be for more than just a very small group, still a, an important group of low vision readers in the world. But some of the research have found that the dyslexics do um, have a challenge with just tracking the words uh, in a linear way. Their eyes kind of jump off the train tracks and mm -hmm. go to the word above or below rather than from side to side. And so maybe we thought, well, maybe it's helping them with tracking across the page. Tell us a little bit about what it, it does for a user. When a reader is coming into a lot of words, several hundred words, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs, they can just use their cursor and select the text, like you were going to copy and paste it into a Word document. What they see is the same words that they had selected uh, with their cursor. And it reflows the text down in a column, kind of a vertical column. You read one phrase at a time, and then it's we call it cascaded. So it, it kind of flows, and the eyes do flow from one phrase to the other. And then if the cascade is going down toward the right, that means you're getting into some subordinate information. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the cascade goes back to the left, that means you're sort of getting out into a higher level of of the sentence structure, like the main verb. The software like analyzes all of it and then kind of reformats it in a way that it takes some of that, that cognitive processing out and prepares it for you to read easier is what you're kind of saying. That's right. Because a lot of the work of reading is the interpretation of the grammar you know, um, who, what, when, where, when, and how. Kind of know the main elements of the sentence, but you need to really know how they fit together. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, the software does that for them. The layout that we envisioned was, it was kind of like an E.E. E. Cummings poem, fairly short phrases. We always break at the natural language boundary between phrase or clause. And then we also use some indentation uh, to show that, oh, this is a subordinate phrase. It's actually part of a larger phrase. So, you know, if you had a really long phrase and it was just too long to be useful, then the, the software would find the natural break 
breaking point inside that long phrase to make a subordinate phrase and place that underneath. Mm -hmm. um, we went up to the U of M. They have a cognitive science department. And uh, we said, well, this is what we've got so far. We're not sure how many people it'll help. We did several experiments in groups of about anywhere from 20 to 40. As time went by, we learned from the research we did in various subjects, including college students and high school and middle school, that beyond the people who have vision problems, there's a, a silent majority of average and below average readers who uh, do benefit and um, they don't have vision problems and they probably don't have dyslexia. That's too large of a group to all have dyslexia. We're helping them get their brain wrapped around grammar and syntax. So the more work we did to improve the syntactic analysis uh, that the software would do, uh, the, the nicer benefit we would get in a wider group of readers. We have consistently found like there's this upper 20% of the population who it doesn't help them. They're just saying, I'm fine. I'm good. I, you know, I've got this uh, super slick, you know, reading uh, brain and <laughs> eyeballs and, uh, you know, this is might be good for other people, but it's not for me. That is generally true until we give them even harder text. So if you take a, one of those high school seniors who's in the upper 20% and say, okay, fine, but you're going to college, right? Yep. <laughs> well, take a look at this college textbook. And then all of a sudden it helps them read college level material. So if you're stretching and trying to read something that's, you know, two or three grade levels higher than your usual, it, it will help you then as well. So it's almost uh, like it's helping manage the cognitive load of some of this information too. Is that, that yes, because, Yeah. Um, there's this thing called working memory and it's kind of like how many balls can you juggle in the air yep. all at once? And uh, it does help with uh, dealing with that primary task beyond the word decoding, of course, of uh, seeing how the syntactic structure is, is logically, you know, formed. Uh, and then you can concentrate on other parts of what the text is about. You know, um, is this person telling the truth? You know, right. uh, they, do they, uh, did they leave out important data that you know, they should have included? You know, all of those more higher level, you know, interpretation work, uh, your working memory has more you know, bandwidth to focus at that level. The other thing that it does uh, for adolescents starting around the sixth, seventh, eighth grade, but also in uh, nine, nine and 10 for sure, is um, teachers that saw our initial results at the University of Minnesota wanted to really get it into their classrooms. And um, they wanted the kids to learn what they were reading through the reading process mm -hmm. and they wanted them to remember it and then get a higher grade you know on the final exam and they it did show that it helped uh, them in that way and so a person wrote his phd on this and he presented his data to the superintendent and he was like flabbergasted because the school districts you know for at least 20 years or so with no child left behind and things like that, they've been required to do benchmark testing uh, and track their students' progress over the years. And so they already had the tests. And so it was truly a like a triple blind study. You know, nobody wow. knew that these measurements were being done, but they were there. And so they looked at those results and 
the students who had been in the treatment group actually did have higher results on their standardized tests for reading. So they became stronger readers without the tool. So they used the tool, but when they went to go read text that not using the tool, they were better readers. Is that what I mean? That's right. Wow. That's right. They call that a brain training effect. That had to be pretty exciting for the yeah, school, because, for your yeah. team, for everybody. <laughs> and it was like, it was giving them kind of backhanded grammar lessons, but not just like every Friday, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning, we do diagramming sentences, mm -hmm. which I actually enjoyed when I was a kid. But I did too. <laughs> uh, it's more like every day, every time you read, you're having the software explain or visually kind of guide you through these grammatical interactions. And so they sort of intuitively understood that a sentence and a paragraph, it's not just a long string of words, you know, it, it has little clusters and little clusters inside of clusters, like Russian dolls, you know, where the little baby doll is inside the yeah. mama doll. And, you know, and so that's how sentences are really structured, as they call this nesting or, you know, dependency, these things where little pieces are actually embedded within larger pieces. And so students begin to understand that when you read, that is part of the puzzle that you're trying to solve. Well, th these initial PhD type theses were picked up by um, Irvine a University uh, in California, and they um, applied for a big federal grant because they wanted to say, okay, you did it in like 500 students. That's great, but we want to do it in 4,000 students, <laughs> you know, to see if it, it will really hold up under battlefield conditions where there's not a lot of hands-on, you know, it's just the teacher and the kids. And so that was a pretty big study and it did get published a few years ago. It was published in a journal called Scientific Studies of Reading. And the author is Tamara Tate, T-A-T-E, and the title of the article is Visual Syntactic Formatting, Improving Adolescent Literacy. But did I hear you say uh, the 20% of people were fine, didn't really find value in it? Does that mean that around 80% of people do? Is that what you're kind of saying? I would say maybe anywhere from 60 to 75%. Yeah. That's a lot. The, yeah. the people who are at the really struggling at the lowest level that probably have a number of issues, not just syntax. You know, they probably are still stuck in the word decoding challenges um, The or they have other learning disabilities. So we're not saying it's going to help the, the most severe sure. uh, people, but um, it, it's a substantial group, more than half. At that place in Irvine, California, they had a number of international graduate students. And they were intrigued by how, because it helped them directly because they were like from Korea and Japan. Mm -hmm. And so when they went back home after they got their graduate degree, uh, they reproduced these experiments in adolescents in Korea who were learning English. In the United States kids, they basically made two years of progress during one year of use. So we take an eighth grader in the U.S. and they have them read with this tool every day. Not a lot, maybe 10 or 15 minutes at the most, but it trains the brain. And then the next year, the beginning of the ninth grade, the control group was reading like a beginning ninth grader. 
the kids who had been in the treatment wow. group, the, the kids in the treatment group were reading at the level of a 10th grader. So, wow. So whole extra they, had made, they had made an extra year of progress through using this tool. Now, over in Korea, it's a different kind of a deal, uh, but they could still compare control groups and treatment groups. And these kids were making like three times as much progress by using this tool. And they also showed that it helped the Korean students, even after they quit using the tool, speak uh, more naturally in English. They, they kind of understood how English phrasing is supposed to work, you know, mm. where you're supposed to pause and, uh, you know, how you emphasize, you know, the... There's all kind of surprise, like, benefits coming from this, from... Yeah, so, yeah, we, as you can see, we have the dyslexics. We had uh, the middle and high school kids who were just learning better. Then we discovered that it actually made them better readers after they used the tool. And now we've got international effects in multiple languages. You know, it's, it's going to be a very handy tool. And of course, with the internet, this will be easy to uh, distribute. That's a lot of different research that went into it. Is that all of the research that kind of has happened so far? Or is there any more that... Well, we, we did study Mayo residents. We brought them into our simulation center. We didn't have a live patient in front of them, but we had the electronic medical record on the computer. And so we said, well, read these passages. And then we had a retention test to see how well they retained the information. But the similar pattern where it was the lower two thirds of the doctors got a boost. They read a little bit faster and they retained uh, a fair amount more. So we improved their efficiency by about 30%, which is a, a, a nice, yeah. a, a nice uh, bump, especially with, you know, all of the EMR reading that doctors need to do, and everybody actually, it's not just doctors, uh, the nurses, the physical therapists, the pharmacists, uh, social workers, you know, everybody's reading the medical record and they're all reading the same notes. So that everybody's reading the same text, but they're coming at it with different levels of expertise and different goals with what they're trying to read. And so we we're hopeful that um, as we integrate this directly into um, the electronic record. So it's just a click away. You know, you don't have to select the text. You don't have to click another button. Mm -hmm. You'll just sort of, you're in the electronic record and there will be an option to reflow the text and that, that'll happen. Uh, and we're, we're pretty close to that. So that's kind of what's on the horizon as far as our work with this tool. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, you know, what the future of the tool looks like because, or really it's, it's application because obviously from all of the research and um, experience that you've had, it it has a, a lot of applications that are highly impactful to a lot of different people. The tool, we have this in, installed on all of the Mayo PCs. So if you go to the uh, Mayo doc, mm -hmm. and the little search window there, type in clip read, C-L-I-P-R-E-A-D, it'll open up this uh, uh, software application. So well, we're, we're right on the brink of trying to uh, expand this outside of uh, Mayo and outside of medicine. It will probably require um, partnerships with people who uh, and institutions who um, focus on education, uh, who focus on uh, mm -hmm. global literacy, 
you know, the interaction between literacy and health, I think is a helpful thing to think about. It would be worth uh, a look at doing more internally in this area. Um, if, for example, all this uh, chatbot work with the AI, yeah. um, you know, if they say, well, we're going to carefully maybe test to see if this is uh, accurate <laughs> or, you know, leads to better patient outcomes. Uh, well, now we're looking at what's basically what you're talking about is tools that are doing part of the brain work mm -hmm. of the healthcare professional and say, well, maybe we should have a better understanding of how our own brains work in the first place. Um, so we don't short circuit important elements of our own uh, thinking uh, in, in terms of all of the different variables that a human brain uses when they're trying to comprehend things rather than just pass it off to a computer the computer might be taking shortcuts and and we don't realize how uh yeah. rich and complex human uh, thought really is uh but that's the future we'll see maybe the partnership will help mayo develop uh, its own cognitive science group and, and we can do these kinds of things internally yeah, and this may be a pretty far out question because you're still finding a way to apply it here in English. But have you thought about making a, another version as a language learning tool for other languages? Because I'm thinking, wow, could this mm -hmm. be an entryway into helping a new model? Yes, we had uh, through some of the work we did in education, someone approached us to make a Spanish book, How to Learn Spanish. We um, had to modify the algorithms, obviously, because uh, the grammar rules are somewhat different yep and you need a different database but we put together a prototype and it, they felt that the product that they made was successful and then as I read it it's like geez I'm I'm learning Spanish <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that's uh, great <laughs> I would love to learn more languages in an easier way true we shouldn't just have it be a one-way street uh just expecting the rest of the world to learn English I think the more we try to go 50-50 or meet other countries and people halfway. I think it's good for our own brains. And it actually helps assure that the, that the communication was, you know, complete. Yeah. Well, you know, this tool that you developed uh, I it's I think it's amazing. When we talk about accessible or making materials have access for everyone, often we hear from uh, as a pushback against doing things or even entertaining tools or other pieces that help things be accessible is that it doesn't apply to their learner group. There's no one here who has something that would that would help with, et cetera. <laughs> this tool is a great example of how when we start to develop things that reduce barriers, we end up helping everyone or almost everyone, right? Like you said, there are a few people who maybe just don't want to do it, but but we do end up seeing it being adopted by all types of unintended groups and mm -hmm. finding a lot of benefits. And this, I mean, this is the curb cut effect, right? Where uh, they made those curb cuts for a very specific group, but everyone uses them, right? <laughs> I feel like this really falls into that and demonstrates that principle that access really is for everyone. I agree. I um, So we started out obviously with the, this uh, Stargardt's vision problem and being a slow reader but we kind of backed into realizing that the syntax was a very important part of it. You can't just chop the text up into little 
chunks. You have to really be careful where you make the line break and you have to work extra hard to make the indentations meaningful as well from one phrase to the next. And so I didn't start out thinking, I'm going to do this grammar tool. <laughs> um, right. But then the world was saying, we want the grammar. You know, the English is a second language group, uh, the middle school teachers trying to help their kids become stronger readers. So that, that those are the kinds of people we're, we're helping. Amazing. So I think this is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story and all that you've done to build this tool and to get it out there. And I'm super looking forward to hearing about what happens in the future with it and where it goes, because it doesn't seem like its story is anywhere near ending. It was a real pleasure. I really appreciate your interest and uh, very nice discussion today. Thank you. If you have any ideas for topics, would like to be a guest, or want to reach out to us, send us an email at edufi at mayo.edu.